As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Each week we tackle a different footballing topic or theme with tactical and analytical insight from Michael Cox and Mark Kerry from The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell and this week, like Lucas Hernandez in 2019, like Mark Van Bommel 2006 or Mark Hughes 1987, we're moving from Spain to Germany from La Liga to the Bundesliga on our European tour. We've got Rafa Honigstein of The Athletic offering up his expertise. But first, let me say hi to my co-hosts. Michael, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Ali. And you've enjoyed some Champions League action this week. Barcelona, Benfica. Last week, we spoke heavily about Xavi Hernandez before his first game in charge of Barcelona. It was a 1-0 win against Espanyol. Last night, a 0-0 draw against Benfica. What are your initial Xavi at Barcelona thoughts? I was quite impressed by them last night, actually. It was a good game, much better than 0-0 would suggest. Two very good disallowed goals and then an incredible last-minute miss uh, from uh, Seferovic. But yeah, I thought Barcelona played quite well. Good shape, good structure, moved the ball quickly, lots of forward running. Obviously uh, lacking a bit of quality in the final third. But yeah, big improvement from what we saw from them in the uh, latter days of Ronald Koeman. In terms of basic shape, in terms of strategy, in and out of possession, what stands out so far? I think probably the, the kind of lopsided nature of how they're playing right back who tucks inside Jordi Alba pushing on very high um, a lot of uh, width down the right hand side so yeah it's been interesting he seems to have got his ideas across in a relatively short period of time and it seems like there's quite a lot of optimism around Barcelona for which uh, we haven't said for quite a while Good stuff. We've got Mark Carey here as well. And Mark, like many other football writers and talkers, uh, has had his week dominated by news of Oli Gunnar Solskjaer leaving Manchester United. And he did so, Mark, saying that he hoped he'd left United in a better position than where he found them. So you examine that on site this week, your latest article. What were the major conclusions there, the top line stuff? Yeah, it fell into my lap, really, in terms of what he said there in the, the farewell interview, because I was already starting to look at what that difference was. But I basically looked at a kind of a, a zoomed out version of um, of that, that difference over time. So I looked at Man United's ELO ratings, which I think might have been covered on the podcast in the in the past, because essentially it, it measures team strength um, as, as a measure and it's standardised across 
all leagues. So essentially teams get more points for winning and it's adjusted for the, the strength of the opponent. And over time, if you were to be sort of fair to Solskjaer, he has left United in a fairly better place, marginally better place than when he arrived in terms of that ELO ranking and those points. But it's interesting to see the peaks and troughs throughout that time because there was a time where at their peak, they're actually higher than Ferguson's or Ferguson's last season at Manchester United, which I thought was quite interesting. So there were high highs, but certainly low lows towards the end. Slightly higher ELO rating. You'll never sing that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Rafa Honigstein. Hello, Rafa. Thank you so much Hello. for joining us on the pod this week. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're fresh from last night's Champions League goal show on BT Sport, which I am absolutely sure many of the listeners will be all across because it is hectic, it is fun, it is a brilliant show to watch. And I, I'm just interested to get the opportunity to ask, what's it like being on it? Is it is it <laughs> is it carnage? Is it fun? What's it like? Yeah, I mean, it's fun. Yesterday we went a little bit rogue with Cindy Lauper puns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Poor, poor Mr. Lauper from Young Boys Burn had his name being used for, for all sorts of non-football related ma- matters. But yeah, um, it, it's great. It's great fun. You know, to an extent, you're just watching football with your friends. Uh, the fact that you have to sort of talk a little bit um, is almost incidental. And Jules, of course, always goes completely crazy about PSG. So <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's great. It uh, doesn't feel like work. Uh, of course, Wolfsburg were in action last night and, and Group G, which they are a part of, it is quite something at the moment. Heading into match day six, all four teams could still qualify, I believe. Wolfsburg themselves, Rafa, have quite a lot of work to do, but uh, that's a pretty intriguing group to be covering. Yes, yeah, a good group. Um, it's a good group because it doesn't feature any real proper heavyweights. Um, that group wouldn't look too much out of place in the Europa League. And I don't mean it necessarily in a disrespectful sense, but... Uh, they're all sort of evenly stacked um, as far as the the potential, the quality is concerned. And it's produced some really interesting games, a lot of them really edgy, not always super open, not always entertaining in, um, in a football purist sense, but lots of action and, and uh, you know, controversial refereeing decisions and, and stuff. Unfortunately, having said all that, when you said Wolfsburg were in action last night, my reply would be, were they really in action last night? Because mm-hmm. they were so poor. They were so... They were like a non-entity going forward. They had one shot saved, which went onto the bar. And that was it, which for you know the fourth best team in Germany last season was very poor. And if they can't qualify from this group, then they don't really belong in the Champions League. And I think it's um, a little bit worrying for German football that they will have their numbers reduced to, uh, in all likelihood, Bayern and Dortmund for the last 16. And even Dortmund, of course, aren't, aren't safe yet. Mm, it feels like it's been a real roller coaster season already at Wolfsburg. Of course, they, they started the campaign with Mark Van Bommel in charge. He's not anymore in the dugout. They've, they've won quite a lot of games. They have lost a lot of games as well. Is their true level looking actually a, a little underwhelming compared to last year's success? I mean, even last year, people sort of scratched their heads and were trying to figure out what it is they're doing so well. But I guess the answer was straightforward. They had a really good defence. And that was the basis of everything. You know, German football is very open because of the pressing um, obsession, if you will. So once you play through that press, there's huge spaces available and we see a lot of goals. Uh, Wolfsburg did press as well, but they also just defended really well man v man, which a lot of Bundesliga teams don't do so well because they have strong players, they have quick players. They have in uh, Maxence Lacroix um, a wonderful, talented uh, French centre-back who I think will gonna, is going to go on to, to great things. 
So a lot of quality without the ball, but as we saw yesterday, and even in those games when they did get results, they were often relying last year on set pieces, on Maxiano doing something special, but never really the free-flowing of Art Vekos being there in the box, but never really um, one of the more yeah, more attractive, expensive sides in possession. And unfortunately, that level of defensive solidity has gone a little bit and it hasn't been balanced or compensated for by an increased output attackingly. If anything, they look even less inspired going mm. forward. So I hesitate to say the, the word mediocre, but they're just not, they're not quite a top team. They're just a little bit below. And I think you see that in the Champions League. Another French centre-back wonder kid, as if we needed yeah. more of those. They're like English right-backs at the moment, aren't they? Uh, we should mention that John Muller started his athletic career this week with a bang and with an article that has its links, its foundation in, in German football. The article is, is titled, What's So Special About the Half Spaces? With help from René Maric, who is the assistant manager of Borussia Dortmund and is uh, something of a legend amongst all of us who like football tactics and reading about them online because uh, it was his work as a football tactics blogger that led to him uh, on well, that led him on this incredible footballing journey that he is enjoying at the moment as assistant to Marco Rosa uh, and and John Muller wrote this article with help from Rene uh, it's a really interesting article I won't give too much more away but what's so special about the half spaces I think an indication of the the sort of writing the sort of insight and, and the sort of questions really that John Muller is going to be raising in his article so we welcome John uh, delighted with his start and if you'd like to read that article plus Rafa Michael Marks fantastic writing on the athletic site of course we have a Black Friday offer as well sign up for just one pound a month for an entire year by visiting theathletic.com forward slash tactics before midnight on Sunday the 28th of November you'll get an annual subscription to the athletic site and app for just one pound a month for the entire year Rafa, your latest piece was about Bayern Munich and, as ever, off-field drama, politics, soap opera, never too far away at that football club. The latest episode exploded, really, over the weekend, coincided with a defeat to Augsburg on the pitch, but really was all about off-the-pitch stuff. Yeah, it was. You had uh, five unvaccinated players missing the ward in quarantine after contact with a positive case. And this renewed and really heated up this debate about, first of all, should players all get vaccinated? Should they be mandated to get the jab? How should clubs deal with it? And uh, also the sporting dimension of it suddenly being important because, you know, you had the odd player missing in the past, but now it's five unvaccinated players who every time somebody in the vicinity gets COVID. And it does seem to happen quite a lot, even with vaccinated people at the, at the moment, as this fourth wave is, is rushing over Germany. Um, you're missing these guys, and especially Joshua Kimmich is an absolute key player and Bayern just don't look the same without him. And it really increased the pressure uh, on, on him and on the others to change their mind. Uh, there's been a development since I wrote the piece. I was, I was told that three players were close to changing their mind, uh, or, you know, sort of weighing up. And uh, we've since learned in reports which have not been uh, disputed that two players have had the jab in Muziala and Serge Knabry and that uh, Joshua Kimmich is is thinking about it in the words of uh, Hansi Flick, the German manager. So I think there is movement. I'd like to think that that change of heart has come about by them talking to physicians, talking to immunologists, talking to their teammates 
rather than Bayern's decision to dock them their wages. <laughs> but uh, you, you never you never quite know uh, what pushes somebody over the line. And there is still a question, I think, whether Bayern actually made good on that threat uh, and really deduct the money when the paycheck for November comes in. Maybe it was just one final sort of shot across the bowl, speeding up people's thought processes. Nagelsmann experiencing uh, every aspect of the club that he took over this summer uh, on the pitch. You know, it's it's five wins out of five in the Champions League. They are top of the Bundesliga with 28 points from 12 games, nine wins out of 12. How are we rating the first portion of their season under Nagelsmann? It's been mostly outstanding. I say mostly because you've had a one or two bad results. Uh, defeat against Augsburg, as you mentioned. They had this horrific, um, crazy game where they lost 5-0 against Gladbach in, in the Cup. And I guess more excusable, one of those yeah, unfortunate games where they create tons of chances and somehow end up losing against Frankfurt. But all the XG, all the numbers, all the whatever um, characteristics or metrics you want to use would have suggested that Bayern should have won that game. And it just happens. The only... Well, the, the reason why I'm not slightly not more euphoric at this point is that they seem to have lost a little bit of the momentum in recent weeks. I think it's due to injuries, it's due to Kimmich uh, missing a couple of games, um, some players looking a little bit tired. Um, the depth in the squad, as we know, is not quite that strong, especially if you looked at the uh, the bench yesterday. Um, there were some players even on the pitch who really, I don't think, should be at Bayern, um, one or two. So in terms of sort of their temporary form, uh, they have perhaps dropped down a little bit from the highs of um, of a month or so ago, but it's mm. still pretty convincing start, I would say, Bayern team playing some of the best football that I've seen from Bayern. And of course, that is um, a spell that includes Guardiola and Heinkes and, and, and lots of good stuff. So I think he is rightly in that conversation, but of course, he needs to keep that going because the real test for Bayern is always what happens in the knockout stages in the Champions League everything else is sort of just <laughs> kind of extended warm-up and uh, nobody will say oh but they played so beautifully in September October if they uh, get knocked out in the last eight or, or even before. Michael when you've seen Bayern this season what have you picked out tactically as uh, a new strategy under Nagelsmann or or indicators that he is really getting a style of play across? I suppose it's been roughly what we'd expect in terms of he hasn't tried to, to tear up a, a team that was obviously working very well. But there's a few aspects of uh, of Nagelsmann's philosophy we saw at uh, previous clubs. I think the way they press is, is slightly different to last season. They seem quite a uh, big emphasis on almost man marking at times high up the pitch, which is not necessarily something we saw under previous managers. The shape, again, it's a 4-2-3-1 on paper, which is what Bayern have been accustomed to playing. But in the build-up play with Kimmich on his own in front of the the defence and the defence shifting into a three, a little bit like the Barcelona thing I mentioned earlier under Xavi, it's almost 3-1-5-1 at times, which we saw a little bit at Leipzig. Um, and it seems to be a bit more emphasis on, on combinations and rotations out wide, which I think when you look at the um, the most exciting, most interesting size tactically in Europe over the last few years, I think that's something they all do very well. I think of Ajax doing that. I think particularly Atalanta doing that. Um, so yeah, broadly positive, I'd say. And, and I'd say perhaps slightly more interesting in a tactical sense than last season, even though they were an excellent side last season. I must say I read a very good article on it by... Uh, 
a writer called Reese Desmond, who I wasn't previously aware of, but uh, worth looking up on Twitter. He did a, a good tactical analysis of the first uh, two or three months of, of Nagelsmann at mm. Bayern, which I'd recommend Googling. Um, but yeah, they've been fun. It, it's been, uh, like I say, maybe what we would have expected from Nagelsmann, but uh, but I certainly don't mean that in a negative sense. Mm. Rafa, is there as strong a tactical identity that surrounds the club as there would be dare I say, at Barcelona or Ajax, whether or not those clubs actually stick to their identity is, is another question. But I think we all understand what is suggested by Barcelona DNA or total football at Ajax, etc. Does that exist with, with Bayern? Is there a blueprint that managers are expected to follow or is it simply dominate in any which way? That's an excellent question. And I think things have changed since Louis van Gaal was the first Bayern manager in modern times to introduce a recognisable playing style that was bigger than the individuals and uh, and dogmatic almost to a point that Bayern found it initially very hard to play to play that way because it was so such an individualistic hero football we call it in Germany <laughs> um, and I think what's happened since especially after the failed experiment with Niko Kovac who was a much more old school pragmatic uh, coach more defensive not a clearly defined pressing uh, strategy, for example, was that Bayern have decided, and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge went on the record saying, we want to play in a specific way. We want to play high up the pitch. We want to press, but we also want to have really good possession. So we want to be the kind of Bayern team that we've seen under Heinkes, under Guardiola, and now under Nagelsmann. And I think they will really be careful not to pick a coach in the future who doesn't fit that blueprint. Uh, I don't think um, they will diverge from that too much uh, because they've seen how how better it's made them. I mean, Bayern have always had really good players, but they've only really gone to another level in the last 10 years because those good players now have also met a system that brings out the best out of them and, and others who are perhaps not quite at the same level. Uh, we've never had that uh, sustained from Bayern since the, the mid-70s. So, yeah, maybe not the... I don't think we have the ideology, if you will. We don't have the the culture uh, surrounding that idea. There's no, uh, you know, Cruyff in the background. There's no, um, you know, Van Gaal or people sort of talking lyrically about what Bayern are supposed to do. It's it's much more about the winning rather than the tactics. But internally, if you will, I think the club have made a decision that this is going to be the Bayern mm -hmm. blueprint for, for years to come. And Mark, what strikes me looking at, at Bayern's squad and those who have played the most minutes so far this campaign is that there's such a strong core of 10, well, 11 players, really, all such recognisable Bayern names other than, you'd say, Upper Meccano, who, who joined this summer. It must be borderline impenetrable to, to get into as a, as a new player. I, I wonder of that gang or of the squad overall, if you look at the numbers, who, who really stands out this season? Again, I'm not expecting to be surprised necessarily because these are <laughs> recognisable Bayern stars. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, yeah, it's difficult to really give too much insight that isn't kind of already obvious. I mean, I was going to say there's a lesser known player called Robert Lewandowski who's doing okay. But um, yeah, I mean, he scored he scored 14 goals this season, Lewandowski, um, more than anyone else in the top five European leagues. And I think what's interesting is that he hasn't, it's not even like he's gone up another level because he's sort of operating on a similar level to, to last season where it was just absurd. And the season before that, he's, he's averaging, even when you take away penalties, 1.1 
goals per 90, which is just quite frightening. Um, I think, yeah, as you say, all the, the typical names are kind of coming to the fore. Um, Serge Gnabry is having a good season so far, six goals already. Um, Thomas Muller is the assist king more than anyone else in the top five European leagues with nine assists already. Um, if I could try and find someone who's not even lesser known, really, it's just someone who I think would benefit from more minutes, but he's so young, 18 years old. He was born in 2003, which is frightening. Um, Jamal Musiala, um, who is just going to go on to to be such a, a world-class talent. He's already operating on a on a great level, but I think Rafa would know better than me, but I think he's coming off the bench a little bit more than, than getting starts at the moment. But he's just so graceful on the ball and he's already got two goals, three assists in the league. Um, I think he needs to fill out a little bit. Um, I think he's he's quite slight, but um, he's got everything that, that a player needs to, to go on to be world-class. Rafa, is he the one at the moment, both for Bayern and for, for the German national team, is he the, the anointed one that there seems to be every other year someone who's just guaranteed to go right to the top? Yeah, I mean, luckily in, the, in those positions, we have many ones or the ones yeah. <laughs> um, because there's Harvards, there's Florian Wirtz, uh, there's Musiala. I think Musiala has something very special because he seems to find spaces and ways around players with the ball, which looks very very difficult um, from uh, from a distance and perhaps even more difficult close up uh, there's something in the way he moves I'm not sure it is that elegant but it is somehow sort of a little bit like the guy from the Fab Four who can change his limbs into like, long and <laughs> elongated uh, areas and stuff he seems to his legs seems to kind of be flexible in different areas and different directions at the same time um, but a really unique player and great talent and and incredible that Bayern managed to get him um, from Chelsea and more incredible even that he finds finds it possible to to play in a team that has so much quality up front uh, mm. it's a real testament I think to to his talent um, I think once Thomas Muller perhaps retires in maybe two or three years that I think his time will really come to show to shine in that number 10 position. This is the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Next up with Rafa Honigstein, we'll talk Dortmund and RB Leipzig and their respective English wonder kids, Jude Bellingham and Tom Warville. Stay with us. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. (laughs) 
yeah, Rafa, let's go on to the side in second place. Borussia Dortmund, they also have a new manager this season. Marco Rosa, as mentioned, uh, formerly of Gladbach, assisted by René Maric. Uh, and they're one point behind Bayern. Uh, if Nagelsmann's approval rating early on is, is fairly high, how does Rosa compare? I guess opinions are slightly mixed because the results have been broadly in line of expectations. Uh, Dortmund have done okay in the league, especially. They're in a decent position, uh, closer to Bayern than perhaps they themselves expected. But of course, in the Champions League, they were absolutely humiliated by, by Ajax in the first game. Second game, they played better, got a little bit unlucky, but still lost. And now they have their um, backs against the wall against Sporting uh, in order to qualify. And what we haven't seen so far yet, I think, is a really functioning Dortmund team. I think Dortmund throughout the last few years have always had great players, have always had moments where they play some really beautiful football, especially under Lucien Favre when they had all these attacking players combining in short spaces. They can play really some scintillating stuff. But they were also always dysfunctional. Dysfunctional when it comes to the balance between defence and attack. Dysfunctional when it comes to pressing. The pressing under Lucien Favre was non-existent. Um, and uh, Edin Terzic, they were, they were better. But you could st- see that this was an interim coach who hadn't had time to really implement this. And now under, under Marco Rosa, you can see signs of it working. But then they always have to change players around because injuries have really been a big problem for them. And it doesn't quite work uh, so well. And you're still thinking, is this system that they're trying to play, which is Marlin and, and Erling Haaland up front, at the same time, is that really a system that can work with the players that Dortmund have? Because they they have a weakness in midfield, even though Jude Bellingham is amazing. I think he carries that midfield because the players around him are not players that are at the same level. None of these players would play in the Bayern team. None of these players would probably get into the Bayern squad. And I think one Jude Bellingham is not enough to provide that that centre, to provide that focus, that uh, cohesion between these two parts of, of the team which are rarely connected well and then Dortmund also have real problems in, in the fullback uh, places which is again for a modern team is very difficult I think to compensate if you've done very central the whole time so not all down to him I think there's some problems in the squad that, that precede him but what's interesting is that uh, when they were at uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach the coaching team, they sort of said, oh, it's it's not so easy because we're taking over from Lucien Favre. And on Lucien Favre, there was never any pressing. And the team, it's hard to instill that mindset into the team because that Lucien Favre football is so different. It's hard to get it out of their minds. And now, of course, at Dortmund, it's almost the same problem again. After three years of Lucien Favre, you could see sort of the, the natural instinct to press and to move and to to be active, to stay in a situation doesn't maybe exist with, with too many of these players. And I think it's um, it's still a long way off before we can see them play the kind of football that Rosa really wants them to play. Mm. And Michael, of course, because of Rosa and Maric's background and their, their journey to this point, you know, the perception of them as a management team is that they're such deep tactical thinkers uh, and it sets very high standards for them on that specific front. There's, there's probably going to be more scrutiny on the tactical side of, of this Dortmund side than under previous managers. What have you made of their first few months in charge watching them in, in the Bundesliga or in the Champions League? 
Yeah, compared to Bayern, I found it a little bit difficult to get my head around them in, in, in the sense that they've played a variety of systems. I think even when there is one formation, obviously there's a lot of uh, interchanging within within matches and sometimes they're playing two or three different systems at once. Um, a couple of games I saw, it was almost like 4-2-3-1 and then they shifted into 4-1-4-1 with, with Jude Bellingham really the player moving between those positions. And like Rafa says, at times he does seem to be carrying this midfield. Um, he's just been excellent. You can you can see that as well in, in terms of the minutes he's played. I think he's this, the, the player who's played the second most minutes behind um, one of the centre-backs, Akanji. It's almost like they can't do without him. Um, just look at the numbers. It was quite interesting to see how much they've they've dropped off in terms of their possession statistics, in terms of their pass completion statistics. The first 15 or so games of the season, pass completion rate was always up in kind of 80% and has dropped off quite significantly in the last two or three, or three of the last four games. I don't know whether that's a stylistic thing or whether they're just being dominated a little bit more. But um, yeah, with two losses in the last uh, few games against Ajax, the second time round and against Leipzig, maybe less positive than we would have been uh, this time last month. Uh, I, I saw on Twitter probably about six weeks or so ago now, the assistant at Marich was involved in a discussion, a debate with uh, someone like us uh, about Dortmund's formation and, and whether it was a diamond in possession or whether it was a, a three at the back shape, whatever it might have been. And it just struck me as quite amazing that you've still got someone like that in the position that he's in, still discussing things so in depth with well, anyone really on on social media, very very rare. Rafa, I know you've you've spoken to Marich for articles on the piece as well. I, I don't want to make it sound like he is the the key man within this Dortmund setup. Even uh, alongside Marco Rose, I'm sure there's tons of other uh, first team staff involved. But what's what's he like to to know to talk tactics with? Oh, amazing, amazing guy. Uh, really open, as you said, willing to willing to talk, also willing to listen. Interested in your opinions, even though. You know, as a journalist, I think we know only a fraction of what he knows, and uh, it'd be stupid to to pretend differently. Um, but yeah, just a, a great guy, and you could see how how difficult I think it is at times because you see things not working, and the assumption I think from the outside from us is often, well, it's not working because the plan isn't right. They just haven't figured out how to play. But often coaches have made a plan and for whatever reason the players just do something completely different or do it badly and then they look as if they don't know what they're doing and I think that is the the difficulty that they're facing at times when they they you know they do certain things in training or they do certain things in video and then for whatever reason it doesn't come off it doesn't come off on the pitch or the opposition are wise wise to it and, and negate your tactics and then you you look a little bit foolish and my my hunch is, as I said a bit earlier, my hunch is that they're still trying to figure out what the best use of this team is, which is lopsided, which does have uh, issues in terms of uh, its team dynamics. There's a lot of really good young players. There's not so many really good middle-aged players. It's all, I think, very, very difficult. And we haven't seen that balance, that consistency that Dortmund have been craving for so long. The results, as we said, are, are decent enough. But even in those games, even the game against Stuttgart, Dortmund were not convincing. They could have drawn that game. They just rarely play a game where you feel they're in complete control of a 90 minutes. This is only going one way. Um, even against the lesser sides, they tend to struggle and tend to have real problems making their superior individual quality count 
against against sides that uh, just work very hard and and just defend well. I think it's interesting what you said at the start as well there, Rafa, where it's because I've spoken to Rene Maric myself, I've been fortunate enough to chat with him and he obviously is a, an incre- has an incredible football brain. And I do find it interesting that maybe there's something to be said about that kind of communication to the players. Not to say that they aren't very good at it, they're probably world-class at it, but just how much simplicity you might need to communicate that to the players for them to implement it because they must have such incredible tactical ideas. But I think I think I read from one of your pieces about how Marco Royce didn't didn't think that they could work very well with the back three. So I guess they've changed between a back three and a back four. And I guess whatever it is that they kind of go with, maybe stick with it for a bit of a sustained period so that, that all players can kind of get used to it. Um, but I think you're also right on the, the balance as well. And I guess the numbers back that up in terms of that that balance between attack and defence. So it looks like they do kind of have you know enough in attack as you'd imagine even with Haaland being being injured until I think at least the new year but they're creating chances worthy of about two goals a game so that's the third best in the the league behind Bayern and actually RB Leipzig as well which I'm sure we'll come on to but I I think it is that balance between the defense because they need to sharpen up the defense in terms of they're conceding chances worthy of 1.3 non-penalty goals per 90 so for context that's actually the ninth best in the division mm. so it shows that kind of disparity between deeply their attack and their defense deeply average exactly yeah and you compare that to Bayern Bayern have the best again underlying numbers in attack but and in defense as well so that's I mean Bayern are obviously a different beast but they are going to walk to the title if they carry on and Dortmund is yeah is mixed shall we say mm, that's interesting you, you know you, you start the pod and you think Dortmund only one point behind Bayern Munich perhaps this is the year we get a really exciting title race but uh, from Rafa's analysis and and from Mark applying the 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 lens of numbers you start to realize that there's there's probably a fair amount between them at, at this stage let's talk about RB Leipzig Rafa because I, I I always see them as the side who at the very least must be targeting being the third strongest team in Germany and I'm sure realistically challenging Dortmund for for second place at the moment and yet we find them in in seventh place in the Bundesliga as we record with Jesse Marsh in charge another new manager in the dugout of a a big German side Uh, they've had some some thumping wins in the Bundesliga this season but also some very disappointing results below their their high standards Uh, a few teething issues perhaps under Jesse Marsh so far yeah, I think that's right. They have, of course, lost some pretty important people, um, starting with Julian Nagelsmann, but also the captain, Master Sabitzer, has gone Upamikano, Konate, even though Konate was not so much of a factor last last season. And it will take some time for this for this team to gel. But I think there's also an issue that they're sort of at the crossroads a little bit because Julian Nagelsmann, I think his great impact at Leipzig was that he took the Leipzig blueprint and added bits of possession, added bits of refinement, bits of variation uh, to it. And that made Leipzig more consistent and less reliant on transition, especially against teams that don't really give you time or space, I should say, don't give you space to play under transition. Uh, They became a lot cuter. They they played a lot of football in the half spaces, often playing... uh, um, a system where you had no real wingers, but three or four number 10s, sometimes not even a, uh, a real number nine. And Jesse Marsh has come in and said, I want to go back to the original stuff. I want to go back to 4-3-3, bang, 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 kill them with speed, 
really, really quick. Once we win the ball, first ball has to go forward, bang. And you look at the players that they have in this unbelievably deep squad and you think, is this really the best use of Forsberg, of Soboslai, of Nkunku, of Olmo to play with so much sort of manic pace, slow things down a bit and, you know, enjoy your possession, enjoy the football that you can play a bit. And I think there's been a real difficulty of the coach and the players and what they used to play in the Nagelsmann with three at the back, these things kind of blending together. Jesse Marsh at times has gone back with his three, especially in, in pressurized situations. The moment it worked well, he felt, okay, I can go now back to the four because now the system's working. I can play the system I really want to play. Then there's another setback. And we've been going back and forth and back and forth. And the overall result is deeply mediocre by, mm. by Leipzig standard. They've been knocked out of Champions League. Okay, against PSG and Man City, this can happen, but still, they expected at least to put up more of a fight. They're not a contender for the title, even though a lot of people have looked at their squad and think, actually, the depth for the squad, if you just look at the numbers, is better than Dortmund and, and Bayern, even though they don't have quite the, the same caliber of superstars. Um, but they have so many sort of decent 7 out of 10 players, more than, more than the two others. So the pressure on, on Marsh has been has been mounting and there's an ebb and flow. You know, he wins just enough games to stay in the job, but he doesn't win enough to be beyond criticism. And that, that's unfortunately a pattern I see playing out until the end of the season. Interesting. It, it sounds like from a tactical perspective compared to the Nagelsmann era, Marsh is trying to give them wings, which of course is the whole Rasenballsport company corporate ethos uh, yeah. at its very core. But they don't have wingers. <laughs> so you know there's not there's not a single player that you would say he's actually a winger so would you play that kind of really fast football when you have so many hybrid players who are more like number 10s yes they can play wide but they're all happier having the ball and having short spaces rather than these big spaces that you get in transition football so I'm just not sure his vision marries um marries up well or mm. works well with, with the uh, the squad at hand and also with what the squad used to play so well under Nagelsmann. Well, I wonder whether their recruitment team and in particular anyone who's just joined a, in a data scientist capacity might be looking for, for wide players in the next few windows. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch that. Rafa, did, did you give Tom some good, uh, some good tips? Bars, clubs, cafes? Leipzig hipster I'm not, spots. I'm not an expert on Leipzig. I've been only I've only been there for two times, so he probably knows more than me uh, already after a few days there. But it is a lovely city to to live in. All very very close. You can walk to the stadium. You can walk into town. You can walk to the training ground. It's all within walking distance. So I'm sure the quality of life will be pretty amazing. Well, he's ignoring us already. He's got too big for his boots, I'm afraid. Yeah. Looking for inside info, but it's it's all redacted so far. Uh, Michael, you've seen a bit of Leipzig in the Champions League where uh, it's been chaos as ever, really. They've averaged two goals a game scored in the group stage, but they've only got one point from four games at the time of recording. Uh, what's not working for them? Yeah, tough group, like Rafa says, but the defeat against Bruges was a bit of a disaster, really. Um, and I think it'd be a massive failure if they don't even qualify for the Europa League. I mean, they feel like a side who 
you know, there's always a big gap between the group stage and the knockout stage. They feel like a side who could do something in the Europa League, but uh, going to have to be Bruges in the return game, which is uh, tonight as we're recording. Um, to get back in that, I mean, when I've seen them, they've just looked a bit easy to play through. They've been a bit exposed down the flanks. Um, certainly were in that game against Bruges. Um, and I think they always seem to get the, the centre backs always seem to be covering a really big amount of space, which I think you have to be a really good defender in in terms of mobility and in terms of one-on-one situations to cope with that. But, um, yeah, the ball just seems to be... They're trying to play more quickly going forward and it feels like the ball's coming quickly back at them as well, which, um, yeah, I'm not sure the defenders are quite good enough to cope with. I think, again, it comes back to that balance. And I don't want to just sound like a scratch record. I suppose it's a bit like Dortmund, where it's that balance between attack and defence. And I think it's... Is it more in recent games? Again, Rafa will be able to tell me more that... It's more of a three-four-three. Three. I think he start Jesse Marsh started off with more of a four-two-three-one, a four-three-three, three, and it's in recent games kind of stuck with it. So it'd be interesting to see how that that balance changes from being a bit more kind of swashbuckling to to a little bit more control. Because I think it's a bit of a, a trade-off between the two, and as you say, Michael, less exposed um, defensively as well. But I, I looked into their numbers in terms of just talking in the the league at this point. But their their direct speed, so essentially how fast they progress the ball upfield in, in meters per second. And typically, it's not you know nailed on, but typically across Europe, the the more dominant sides kind of in the league are also they're fairly low down in, in terms of direct speed because they have that control. The ball doesn't necessarily have to go forward each time. Um, and Leipzig are fifth highest in Bundes in the Bundesliga. Um, and Dortmund and Bayern Munich are right lower down compared to them there. So again, it just shows that it's just high energy, get it forward as quickly as possible, but potentially at the expense of that that control. And, and out of possession there, their passes per defensive action, their PPDA as a proxy of, of their pressing intensity is, is the second highest in the Bundesliga. So all their sort of vital signs, I guess, do match with that, that idea that they are a bit... Yeah, swashbuckling in and out of possession. But uh, but as Michael and, and Rafa said, they just maybe need to get that balance back and just get a bit more kind of control um, and see where that might take them because they need to go up the, the league quite quickly. You're listening to the Athletic Football Tactics podcast's Bundesliga Fest. And next up, we're tackling a couple of the division's overachievers. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Rafa, I have to ask you about Freiburg because they are third in the table under Christian Streich. And you named them in your most recent piece on The Athletic site, the neutrals darlings. Why is that? Yeah, I'm not sure so much for their football or tactical refinement because um, they are sometimes a little bit of a, a quiet taste. <laughs> but of course, as a club and as a symbol of what they're trying to do, I think it's hard not to warm to them. They have always a very low budget, a very passionate crowd, a really idiosyncratic, very interesting manager who can talk about any subject uh, far beyond football. 
and a real sense of togetherness and kind of a very, very strong ethos of team spirit, which somehow lifts them far beyond their individualistic capabilities. This has become a bit of a running gag, but sort of, I, I look at them every single season uh, in the summer and I'm thinking they're probably going to be fighting against relegation. You look at the squad and you're thinking, you know, these players, I've never heard of them, or if, if I have heard of them, I'm thinking there's no reason I should have heard of them because they're just so deeply average uh, and nondescript. But somehow you put them together and you create this, there's this special energy that Freiburg seem to be able to create in, in a kind of a feedback loop between them, the crowd, Streich. And they, they, they tend to overachieve uh, consistently. Um, of course, as is often the case, you know, the moment you write this big feature in The Athletic, they start losing. Um, but I guess it's just a classic case of regression to the mean because even, I think, with the best will in the world, you cannot see them finishing top four. I think that would have been absolutely extraordinary. It can still happen, but I think... Top six, top seven is really an incredible achievement. The, the equivalent of them winning the title, everything else would just be, yeah, would just be dreamland, I think. Just to weigh in, just because I heard a, a statistical term of regression to the mean, I just thought I had to jump in. Um, <laughs> the bat but signal. It, it, is, yeah, it, is, uh, it is backed up by the numbers. So, I mean, yeah, they're, they're built on solid foundations at the back defensively this season. So I don't think any team has, has conceded fewer than, than Freiburg's 10 uh, in the league this season, which is great. But their expected goals is uh, 16. So they're ex- they've conceded chances worthy of, of 16 goals so far this season. So that overperformance of... Uh, of conceding six goals fewer um, is actually the yeah the most of any side in the Bundesliga this season. So again, you, you would expect regression to the mean over a bit a bit of a longer period that they might actually start conceding just a little bit more. Um, so yeah, sorry, I just had to weigh in on that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Rafa had, had built an image of Christian Strike being something of a, a footballing alchemist, just mixing together ingredients, creating something magical. You also did say that the, the style of play was something of an acquired taste. What what does that taste like for the uh, tactical connoisseurs that haven't seen Freiburg? It's basically a lot of man marking, some good pressing, some really good defending, a little bit old school. There's something very Italian about this team. It doesn't quite fit with the surroundings and and the the strike madness and this, but they they play like a highly organised sort of early nineties Italian side, I think, uh, minus one or two superstars that even the you know the lesser Italian teams seem to have at that time. They don't have these players, uh, certainly not since Max Kruse have moved on. So, yeah, um, really not the team to to win over. Uh, neutrals as far as the the football is concerned I remember doing a half season review in 1920 and Freiburg came out well below in most uh, metrics as far as the attack was concerned they were just deeply deeply below average really but somehow they get they get the results and the story is is beautiful so we let them off for the actual football because we like the narrative. Do you know what? And and sorry to bring it back to the Premier League because we're actually having a month off the Premier League. But there are there are aspects to what you've discussed that sound a little Dacian uh, and Burnley in particular. But then the, the next 
club that I wanted to ask you about before we let you go is is Union Berlin. And I, I wondered whether there were aspects of Burnley and Sean Dyche in, in their success and their incredible story as well. So it'd be interesting to get your, your take on it, just to give the listeners some context. Union were promoted through the playoffs in 1819. They came 11th in the Bundesliga the following season, then a seventh place finish last season uh, earned them the right to play in the Europa Conference League. Uh, and this season, they're fifth in the league table. It's an incredible story of continued success and improvement uh, under manager Urs Fischer. What is so special about them that they can continue to improve? Well, again, I think there's a very special backstory about the connection between them and the fans and and the special culture around the club and how they manage to feed off their energy and, and, and overwhelm teams who are perhaps not quite ready for that sort of experience, especially when there's a full stadium, which unfortunately hasn't to, happened too often over the last couple of years. But um, there's more than that. I think under Urs Fischer, they've gone from a pretty straightforward, dare I say, Route 1 team uh, that went up with a big physical approach and proper number nines, elbowing the centre-backs and then people rushing on from midfield for the second balls, that kind of game, but very well played, very precisely played, to a much more versatile and much better footballing side. I mean, they have good players now. I think they have um, more control. They have more, yeah, more finesse about them. They look much happier in possession, but they haven't lost that grittiness and that, that edge, which is almost sort of goes beyond tactics. It's the willingness to win the 50-50s. It's the kind of attitude with which you play. It's not something, Mark, I'm not sure you have a metric for it. not something that you can easily quantify, but when you see it, you know it, you know it's there. And somehow you don't have that. And in a league that has a lot of teams playing um, very organized pressing and trying to play decent football, there is something about that rawness and about that kind of... Yeah, sometimes sort of barely contained aggression that makes them incredibly effective. Which I, I honestly, you could have been talking about the concept of love when you said you, you can't <laughs> you can't easily quantify it, but you know it when you see it. It's right. so, and then you talked about rawness, and I thought, did we move away from Union Berlin? But no, <laughs> but no, we didn't. Mark, I mean, what, what stands out from the metrics, from the things that we can measure? What what stands out uh, in Fisher's with Fisher's side? Well, I was going to weigh in and say that I can't quite quantify rawness per 90, but, um, but what I can do is, um, so I looked at their, their passes per defensive action. So again, that, that indication of pressing intensity. And it was interesting what you said there, Rafa, because they actually have the lowest PPDA pressing intensity of anyone else in the league. So it kind of suggests to me that they, they have that kind of, yeah, that discipline, that solid defensive structure rather than being your typical kind of what you sort of said is the typical German Bundesliga side. So again, the, the, it might be unquantifiable, but the, the numbers kind of back that up a little bit that they aren't sort of your typical German team. But I guess it does, it, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that in the areas of the pitch, Rafa, where they do decide to engage, that they aren't doing so with some intensity, with some physicality, which, which you know, wins them those battles. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think as, as Marcus said, or as the numbers would suggest, that that intensity tends to happen quite deep in their own, in their own half. And that's why I say there's something slightly old-fashioned about them. You know, you, you, that's how you would defend. You know, you'd all go back and then defend and then you all go forward and attack and then you all go back <laughs> and defend. <laughs> and it's a bit it's a bit like that um, with Union. But 
they have some real footballers as well, I think, uh, especially now, you know, with the likes of Awani giving them a whole new dimension, you know, attacker who's fast, who can work the channels. They didn't have that before. They had they had your classic st- Scandinavian centre forward. Um, this has added real quality and they, they tend to get their their transfer strategy really right. I mean, they're not blessed with, with huge amounts of money, so they have to be very careful. But as happens with good coaches, their players, the players that come in, tend to do well and tend to immediately become part of a functioning collective. So I think Urs Fischer, because he's Swiss, because he doesn't say a lot, um, because he is sort of fairly neutral in his appearance and doesn't do any crazy things, doesn't get, I think, the recognition that he perhaps deserves because he's maybe too quiet a character. But when it comes to looking at who's done really well in the Bundesliga, I think we have to mention him pretty near the top of the list in the last couple mm. of years. Again, I think uh, let's get him and Sean Dyche round a table, enjoying yeah. enjoying a pint together. I think that would be good athletic content if someone could hook that up. Um, uh, uh, Mark, we do have to just touch a little bit further on you know the standout story to my eyes anyway on the playing side and and Rafa mentioned him Taiwo Awaniyi who was signed from Liverpool which I had not realized it wasn't a name that I'd come across that's because he was on loan at seven different clubs in in six consecutive seasons um, probably never saw the inside of of that very fancy new training ground that Liverpool have uh, the last time he was on loan was with Union and then they spent a not insignificant amount of money uh, making him permanent this summer and only Lewandowski has scored more goals in the Bundesliga this season yeah, that's right. Yeah, he scored eight goals uh, for Union this season. That, when you look at it across, again, I, I try to keep a bit of context across the whole of the top five European leagues as well. So that's 0.8 non-penalty goals per 90, which is the eighth highest across those top five European leagues. So he's he's running quite hot at the moment. Um, and yeah, so sort of eagle-eared or eagle-eyed uh, listeners will, will know that, yeah, eagle-eared. he's used to... Oh, those eels and their have, ears. I didn't know they had it's, ears. It's a podcast. It's all like I can just apply it to that. It's as good as you're going to get from me. Um, but he did. Um, yeah, he was. He was at Liverpool, but I wouldn't say that he played for Liverpool. That's why I've got to be careful there, because um, yeah, as a as a Liverpool fan, anyone who's had any connection with Liverpool, I will follow through you know thick and thin. So he he didn't actually ever play a competitive game, um, but I think it was work permit issues that he was constantly sent on loan to eventually the idea that he'd eventually come back and. I think he was was always sort of well thought of, um, and clearly you can see why because he's he's done so well. But uh, yeah, I think if he carries on as he is, he'll he'll get some of the the bigger clubs swarming around him. Well, Rafa, thank you so much. Your your writing, your podcasting, your broadcasting on the Bundesliga and German football as a whole it is an absolute delight, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the pod this week. Thank you so much for having me. Wiedersehen. Well, I have absolutely loved this period of time talking all things Bundesliga. A huge thank you, not just to, to Rafa Honigstein for joining us, but for Michael and Mark for adding a sprinkling of expertise as well. Of course, Rafa's writing on all things Bundesliga is absolutely obligatory uh, for anyone who likes following German football or football in general. Uh, Mark and Michael are doing incredible stuff on site at the moment. Many of you will know that already. Many of you will not. And this is the time to join the athletes 
Athletic if you haven't already. There is a Black Friday offer. £1 a month for an entire year is the Black Friday offer. And to get that, visit theathletic.com forward slash tactics before midnight on Sunday, the 28th of November. So do make sure you get signed up today and also make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast feed because we've got plenty on the agenda in the coming weeks on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast and we'd love for you to join us. So have a brilliant rest of your day. Thank you for listening. We'll talk again next week on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. The Athletic.